Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the CBS Travel Hour with Peter Greenberg. He's America's most recognized and respected frontline travel news journalist. And in this podcast, Peter Greenberg holds in-depth interviews with travel industry insiders, giving listeners practical news they can use on topics ranging from the shrinking carry-on luggage allowances to traveling through the Middle East. This is the CBS Travel Hour with Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. I'm Peter Greenberg, and welcome aboard the CBS Travel Hour. Lots of things to talk about in this episode, and one in particular involves social media and the manipulation of social media by some hotels and resorts that are essentially encouraging their guests to lie. I'm serious. Let me tell you the story. I was recently at a hotel in Asbury Park, New Jersey, a hotel that has seen better days. To give you an example of how bad it was, when I walked into my room, the lock on the door literally fell off. The curtains were stained. The floor was stained. The carpet was a mess. The paint was peeling. Uh, there were scratches on the, on the desk, and the chair fabric had already been worn through, and the actual stuffing was coming out. The closet doors basically were off the hinges, and uh, I won't even talk about the bathroom. All right, that was the scene. Would that have upset you? Probably. Did it upset me? Definitely. But this is what upset me even more. When I checked into the hotel, there was a little card at the front desk. It wasn't just in a card stand. It was actually handed to me by the bellman. And it had the TripAdvisor logo on it. And this is what it said. Write a great review of your stay at this hotel and get a discount on your next stay. That is the incentive to lie. Now, this is the problem with social media and online reviews. Where is the vetting? Who's actually watching the store? About a year and a half ago, for my public television show called The Travel Detective, we decided to test this. And what did we do? We wrote 20 intentionally. We did this intentionally. We wrote 20 intentionally bogus reviews of hotels and resorts, places I can attest I have never been. And in those reviews... We intentionally used every bad word that ends in ST, best, greatest, finest, most, loveliest, I could go on. And I threw in a lot of the other crazy words, paradise, pamper, luxury, you get it. Uh, And I used paradise more than once, by the way. Uh, And we sent them to TripAdvisor. Guess what? I'm batting a thousand. They ran all of them. Here's the problem. There's the vetting. Where's the vetting? doesn't exist. And if it does, news to me. So in this latest incarnation, we have hotels that are actively, essentially publicly, lobbying their guests to lie. Because in this case of this hotel, if I had written a a great review, uh, people would have called me delusional and on crack. So I encourage you, that the best real reviews that you can get are word-of-mouth reviews with people you respect, 
your friends, your family. Um, just blindly placed reviews on websites. We have no idea of the sourcing. A couple of years ago, uh, hotel general managers were doing a similar routine where they were encouraging their guests to go to their own business center at the hotels, write a great review, and in return, they'd give them a free dinner. Now, all you had to do was check the IP of where those reviews are coming from. They all went back to the sales office of the hotel in the business center. The question is, who was doing the checking? And the answer is, we don't know. So I'm just throwing this out there to tell you that you have to look at things with a sense of deep and challenging perspective because anytime you see those buzzwords that end in ST or the words paradise, pamper, or luxury, or romance, or paradise twice or even three times, uh, it's crazy. Uh, there's a website called oyster.com. They do something that I think is fabulous. They, call, they do something called photo fakeouts. You know what a photo fakeout is? They take the online or physical brochure photo that's already existing online for a hotel or resort or that exists in their brochure. And what do they do? They then send their own photographer to that location to take the real picture of what it looks like. Unreal differences. There's a hotel in Los Angeles called the Sofitel. And in their brochure and online, they show you their pool, which the way it's shot looks like the most serene, contemplative, wonderful, uh, meditational, lovely pool. Now, widen up the lens. You know where the pool is? Next to a parking lot for the Beverly Center. A little noise issues, perhaps? Uh, I mean, it's crazy. So, for those people who are listening to this podcast, who are working in the hotel sales and marketing divisions, stop it. Stop using beautiful photography to hide serious problems. Because guys like Oyster.com will go out there and do their photo fakeouts and, and prove the point. And for those people who are relying upon social media to make their travel decisions, uh, it, I think it's ludicrous. Now, I'm not telling you not to look at TripAdvisor, not even close. No, of course. You want to get as much information as possible. But where's the balance? Where's the, uh, you know, where's the filter? And right now, I don't see it. It's no different than, than most of you book your, 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 your travel reservations online. And I've been arguing for years that it's a mistake. Why? Because you presume that all the available inventory is online. It's on the web. Here are three words for you. Not even close. That's right. Not even close. What you're seeing on the web is only about 52% of what's available. Where's the other 48%? It's being held back by the travel providers for whatever reasons they want to hold it back. So if you are very proud of yourself that you can go online at 3 o'clock in the morning in your bathrobe and not have to talk to anybody and hit all those keystrokes and make your reservation on a price you think you like, you are essentially disenfranchising yourself from 48% of the available inventory. Why would you do that? The answer starts with a C word, conversation. Why wouldn't you pick up the phone? and actually talk to the person at that location to see what they might have. Whether it's an airline, a hotel, a B&B, it doesn't matter. You lose nothing by making that call. And again, I'm not telling you not to research your fares online. I'm telling you that 
you should definitely double check. Give me an example. Many of you make the classic mistake of thinking that it's all about getting a great deal, getting a great rate. Well, it's certainly part of it, but let's define what getting a great rate means. It's not just the rate itself, it's the value-added extras that you'll never find online. That's right. For example, let's say you get a great rate at a hotel, 129 bucks a night, great. And that's what you're able to do online. But wait a minute, what about parking? What about minibar? What about internet? What about um, resort fee? How do, you do, how do you negotiate that online? You don't. You need to have a conversation. I was at a hotel in San Francisco. I, I, I very proudly made myself a, uh, 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 at least I checked out the, the, the rate. I got a great rate in San Francisco. But then I picked up the phone before I ever made the booking online. And they confirmed the rate. So it was the same rate that I would have gotten online. That's not always the case, by the way. Usually, sometimes it's less. But here's the rate. It was $149 a night. But then I, I was going to be renting a car. So then I asked, gee, guys, would you throw in free parking? Yes. Would you throw in the internet? Yes. Would you not kill me with a resort fee? Yes. It was only when I was checking out that I found out that this hotel was charging $17.95 a night for internet and $42 a night for parking. So I saved essentially $200 simply because I had a conversation. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with our culture that we are so disinclined to talk to somebody? I'm just throwing that out there because every chance you get, you should have that conversation. And then there's the area of cookies. It goes right back to the internet again. I was online one night looking for a fare between New York and Los Angeles on the Transcon round trip. And I found one for 420 bucks. Not what I really wanted to pay, but relative to what the airfares are costing these days, it was okay. Now, I did this at, at 1 o'clock in the morning. I wanted to check my schedule, so I didn't book it. I came back an hour later at 2 o'clock in the morning, and the fare is now $480. It had gone up $60 at 2 o'clock in the morning on a Wednesday for a flight I wasn't taking for a week and a half. So when I mentioned this, the airline said, oh, there is no conspiracy here. The Transcon is a very popular route. It's uh, a lot of demand. And based on the law of supply and demand, that's why it went from $420 to $480 in a one-hour span, because a lot of people were booking the, booking the fare. Okay, I get that. But then I decided to put it to the test. So I went back the next night and looked for a fare three and a half months later from New York to Des Moines, Iowa, on a Wednesday at 11 o'clock in the morning during no holiday period whatsoever, no heavily trafficked period whatsoever. And I found a fare for $220. I intentionally did not book it. I came back an hour later. It was $260. It had gone up $40 in the span of 2 o'clock in the morning, or excuse me, 1 o'clock in the morning and 2 o'clock in the morning. And here's where it gets nuts. No one can make the argument to me that there were 50,000 deranged passengers intent on going to Des Moines, Iowa, three and a half months later, on a Wednesday at 11 o'clock in the morning, at 11 o'clock in the morning. So you couldn't make that argument of supply and demand. Here's the argument you can make. You can't make it scientifically. I can make it experientially. If you want to research a fare online and then you want to go back later and book that fare, either get rid of your cookies 
or use somebody else's computer because they know it's you. And they know you've already expressed interest in going to Des Moines, for example. And the way I can even prove that is ever since we did that test, every Tuesday I get an email telling me about all the great deals to Des Moines. With all due respect to my friends in Iowa, I'm not going lately. So those are my words of advice when it comes to that. Then there's something else. And this is something I want to give you an alert about. Many of you have seen all these offers from credit card companies where if you sign up for a new credit card, certainly a new travel credit card, you'll get a 30, 40, or 50,000 mile frequent flyer bonus. And let's face it, that's certainly an enticing offer. And what it's done is it's created a, a sort of a subterranean world of what we call churners. These are the folks who really want to play the bonus credit card game by signing up, getting that mileage bonus, and then closing the account. And they do this trick multiple times with multiple bonus offers with different credit cards. But I have to warn you, the banks now know about the scam. And some banks, like, uh, you know, like, like Chase, are making it much harder to get multiple cards and multiple bonus deals. In fact, Chase actually now rejects applications from anybody who's opened five or more credit cards over the past two years. There are other banks that now make you wait at least two years before you can collect another sign-up bonus, even for the same credit card. And one of them, American Express, has made it even tougher. You can only collect one sign-up bonus only once per credit card, period. Now, there's another downside to the churning game. Even if you do get some of the bonuses, many credit rating services, Experian and you know, TransUnion, may drop your credit score if they see that you've applied for too many cards. And that's a pretty significant trade-off. Your credit rating gets hurt, and, that, and then, of course, that presumes you can even redeem those extra bonus miles that you've earned with these bonus sign-up offers. So consider yourself warned about the downside of churning. One more thing I want to share with you, and that is, in the wake of all the recent incidents in Turkey and in Belgium and in Paris and even in Orlando, uh, there's been a surge in travel insurance sales. Um, and that also includes even the Zika virus and, and recent hurricanes. Um, look at this number. In 2008, Americans spent over $1.5 billion in travel insurance. Last year, more than $2.4 billion. That's a significant increase. Okay, I know why people are buying the insurance. It's legitimate. It's all with good intentions. You want to protect yourself. But you've got to be aware that each policy is different and what exactly is going to be covered. For example... In the recent bombing in Chelsea in Manhattan, uh, most travel insurance policies would not cover you if you chose to cancel your trip to New York in the wake of that incident. Why? Well, because the airlines didn't cancel their flights. Hotels didn't close. Same with Zika. There have not been all-out travel bans initiated by governments to certain locations. So you need to read your policy language very carefully before you buy any travel insurance. It's always a good idea for any traveler to be prepared, but you got to understand policy language is the key here. Same for weather. Tropical storm? You might not be covered. Hurricane? Only if it's officially named by the weather service after you buy your policy. All right, you got it? Good. Forewarned is forearmed. Coming up next, I got to talk about stupid airline rules, the most ridiculous airline rules out there, and how the airlines continue to enforce them. It's ludicrous. Joining me will be Scott McCartney, the travel editor of the Wall Street Journal, and a little bit later, the world class explorer and traveler, Richard Bangs. We'll be right back. 
Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Welcome back to the CBS Travel Hour with Peter Greenberg. And welcome to the CBS Travel Hour with Peter Greenberg. Happy to have you on board our flight today. Lots of stuff to talk about. And first and foremost, the stupidest rules the airlines have. Yes, and if you think there are a few, you're wrong. There are many. Uh, I've got a few that I've recorded over the years which are just ridiculous. And my next guest has his own list. He's the travel editor for the Wall Street Journal, good friend of mine, Mr. Scott McCartney. Hey, Scott. Hi, Peter. How are you? I'm good. So, you know... Every time the airlines can come up with a, with a stupid rule, they seem to do it. And every time they come up with a smart rule, they seem to, like, get rid of it. Uh, I remember there was a great rule that the airlines used to have called the flat tire rule. And the flat tire rule was if you got to the airport within four hours of your flight because you got stuck in traffic or you overslept or you had a flat tire, the airline would actually put you on, on their next flight if they had a seat available. Yeah. They got rid of that because yeah. they wanted to drive revenue. That only made everything even more congested at the airport. But then come the parade of stupid rules. Can I give you one stupid rule? And then I'm going to let you go. Okay. This goes back a couple of years ago. I was on a flight from Atlanta to Orlando on Delta. We name names here. And I had my my carry-on and my personal item. And I stopped at the newsstand and bought a New York Times, a Wall Street Journal, and a large bag. I admit to this, a really large bag of gummy bears. And I, I was in a gummy bear mood. And the, uh, the clerk at the, at, the, at the counter said, would you like a bag for that? I said, okay. So I go to the gate with my briefcase, my laptop, and my bag of newspapers and gummy bears. And I was denied boarding because the gate agent claimed I was trying to board the plane with three bags. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I said, no, 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 no. I said, no, those are the rules. I said, wait a second. It's gummy bears. And they said, you have to check one of these bags. That's the rule. I said, okay, as long as you want to make my life miserable, why don't I return the favor? I hereby check the gummy bears, and I declare excess valuation in the amount of $5,000. <laughs> I said, because you can actually insure this with the airlines. You, know, you can't insure fur coats, and you can't insure computers or jewelry, but there's nothing that says you can't insure gummy bears. <laughs> so I said, okay, get out the forms. Let's fill them out. Let's spend 30 minutes here because I'm not, if you want me to check the bag, I'm, I'm insuring it because I want my gummy bears when I get to Orlando. And this went on for about six minutes until this, I, I'm going to say it, moron realized that I was holding up the entire boarding process of the plane to check in gummy bears. <laughs> so he said to me, I know you're laughing, but this is a true story. He said to me, okay. If you can pack the gummy bears in one of your other bags, I'll let you board. And I said, let me fill you in on a little news bulletin. I'll do that. But you know the first thing I'm going to do when I get on the plane? I'm taking them out. (laughs) So why don't you tell me the logic of your entire argument here? And of course he couldn't. That was my presentation to you, Scott McCartney, the Wall Street Journal, of a stupid airline rule. Go, Scott. Yeah, no, and you see people doing that all the time, particularly women who have have purses and a laptop bag, and so they're trying to cram the purse into the laptop bag or their or their rollerboard um, just to comply with the rule. Uh, I I think uh, refunds are the are the really crazy area. It's just completely unfair and and really unjust from a com- 
consumer perspective. Um, so say the airline, you have a first-class seat, and you, and you paid um, either with a first class, by buying a first-class ticket or buying an upgrade. You paid to get there, and then the airline bumps you out. And sometimes they, they have to do it because an air marshal shows up, and sometimes they change equipment, and sometimes they, you know, for whatever reason, they're, they're bumping you out. Um, well, now they owe you a refund, right? And, and so some airlines say, well, you have to go to our website and request, request a refund. No, you did something bad to me, and it's your fault, and you should process the refund right away. Or they calculate the coach, the, the fare difference based on a full coach ticket price. So oh you could have bought you, you bought your ticket months in advance. You bought a cheap uh, discounted first-class fare, but it was more expensive than the cheap, uh, cheapest coach fare. And the airline is going to base the fare difference on the highest coach fare possible, so you get totally ripped off out of what you're really owed uh, from the airline. Uh, there's just been been time and time again um, seat fees, uh, fees for extra seats. I've heard from people who have been um, either bumped out of that or they bought uh, paid, you know, even just eleven dollars. Uh, this happened the other day. Eleven dollars for an aisle seat. Um, flight attendant reseats the person to a middle seat to accommodate uh, a family traveling together or something like that. Um, and there's no refund. Well, that doesn't make any sense. I paid for the good seat. You took it away. And, and now you owe me the feedback at least. Oh, yeah. And then, and then there's the other one, which, by the way, I think is now finally, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, finally being legislated out of, out of stupidity. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, if the airline's going to charge me to check a bag and they don't deliver the bag, meaning the bag is lost or delayed or forever forgotten, they got to refund me the charge that they charged me to check the bag. You would think. <laughs> yes, no, it, and, and uh, Congress passed, a, passed a, a law requiring that the Department of Transportation issue, issue regulations that say that they have to refund the bag fees if the bag is not delivered on time. Um, I think the regulations are still going through the administrative process right now. Um, some airlines have started uh, refunding bag fees, but... But just the the notion that, um, you know, the airline argument was, well, we'll get it to you sooner or later. Well, that's not what I paid for. <laughs> and if you didn't give me what I paid for, you owe it back to me. And by the way, part of that same legislation, which I was amazed even got through Congress. I'm amazed anything gets through Congress. But yeah. what was amazing about this one was they actually have a rule in there now that says the airlines have to seat you together as a family. Yeah, at at the, you know, they don't have to do it for free. They have to do it at their lowest Price. They have to make that, that option available to families. And this really is a big change, uh, a big difference, because families felt uh, hugely pressured into airlines would, would block off all the free seats together. And if you wanted to sit together, you had to pay extra fees for, quote, unquote, preferred seats. Um, and it's just not fair to families because, uh, you know, you could you could take your chances at the airport, but who wants their six-year-old kids sitting in the middle seat between strangers? And, and by the way, what strangers want to sit there and have to take care of somebody's six-year-old kid? Uh, so, so, well, if they pay me for it, if they yeah, pay me well, for it, I'll do it. Uh, yeah, they might pay you for it, but you never get a refund. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, then there's the definition of the words preferred seats. You yeah. know. The airlines, unless I'm mistaken, are calling some of their preferred seats preferred because they're just closer to first class. Um, and what that means is you can smell the cookies, but you still can't have one. Uh, and some of those preferred seats are, are, middle, are the dreaded middle seats. Yeah, no, and, and, and some are in the back of the airplane. It's, it's com- gotten completely out of hand. 
Uh, and it really is designed to pressure people into paying fees um, to to get a seat assignment. And, you know, at some point, with some of the ultra-low low fare carriers, they're more upfront about this. If you want an advanced seat assignment, you got to pay a fee. Okay, that's your rule. We'll play by your rule. You're offering cheap fares, but they, you know, they, they end up being more expensive when you pay all the fees. But it's more transparent than an airline that says, oh, no, we don't charge seat fees, but um, you just can't find a, a free seat. Um, and, and so if you want to sit next to somebody, you're going to have to pay a fee. It's crazy. Now, that gets down to something else. People are inclined. They've been steered. They've been conditioned to go online to look at the seat chart. The seat chart's a lie. <laughs> the seat chart is only what they want to make available online. And on most flights these days, what do I find that's available without a charge? Middle seats. Now, you and I both know, Scott, that they're holding back on this. Yeah, no, and there, there are different seat maps for different customers. Um, so if you have any kind of elite status, you get one seat map. If you have top tier elite status, you get a different seat map. If you don't have elite status, if you're... If you're now on, on Delta, uh, some some fares don't come with seat assignments. So um, depending on the fare you're paying, there may not even be a seat map. Um, it's, uh, it, it is, you know, true uh, um, discrimination. And, and then there's the, the other thing that airlines do is hold back a large number of seats for what they think will be last-minute customers. Uh, and so the the business traveler who's paying a very high fare, uh, booking at the last minute, and you and you pay that high fare, and then all that's left are middle seats. The business traveler thinks, "Hey, that's not fair. I'm paying a much higher higher fare than the other guy." So they hold back a huge number of seats, um, but that just pressures people into paying the fees. It does. I mean, and it goes on and on. What's another one of your great stupid rules? <laughs> well, I think the I think the pet carry on. Uh, fee is uh, is totally infuriating. Um, <laughs> you 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 pay one hundred and fifty dollars to bring a small dog or cat on the on the fee on the plane, um, but then it counts as one of your two free carry ons. So you know it's uh, either it's a free carry on or it's a hundred and fifty dollar bag, but it can't be both. Well, um, then you I, know what you've op- you've opened the door to something else, which is a piece that we actually did for CBS called "When Pigs Fly." Yes. Yeah. And, and that is the emotional support animal scam. And, I, yeah. and I'm calling it a scam because in 80% of the cases we looked at, it's exactly what it was. Um, it's, there's a business out there. For example, you mentioned the $150 to take your, 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 your animal on the plane, assuming, by the way, it can fit under the seat in front of you and you can't take it out during the flight. So it's got to be a little shih tzu or something, right? Okay. Right. Under 20 but, pounds. Right. However, if you can claim that your animal is an emotional support animal that you need it, otherwise you could snap at any moment, and you carry the certificate, you can show up there with a pig yeah. or, or, or a big poodle or a Weimaraner or, or, you know, it gets crazy, and you don't have to pay the 150 bucks, and the dog or other animal doesn't have to be in the seat in front of you or under the seat in front of you. It could be sitting next to you. It could be walking up and down the aisle or doing other bad things. Yes, yes, as, as has happened. Yeah, it oh. really, and you can buy the service animal uh, uh, alleged paperwork and and um, and little vest that you put on the animal. Um, just buy it on the internet, and it's cheaper than paying the the fee to uh, put the dog in in the crate and and ship it in um, with the cargo. Um, a lot of people are afraid of that. A lot of people want to avoid the fees, and 
So it really is. There's actually a move afoot in the airline industry to to restrict that. Oh yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I was on a flight the other day, or a guy had a, had a German Shepherd and um, nice nice enough dog. It had the service animal tag on it. Um, uh, the dog went to sleep for the entire flight. Was providing great comfort uh, to everyone. <laughs> and uh, you know, the guy got to his destination with his dog without um, without oh, paying listen, the fees. I, a, there are cases. There are cases where you can justify it. But here's the deal: for 150 bucks, you get some psychiatrist who's <laughs> never met you to fill out a form to say. Scott McCartney's got a problem, <laughs> you know, and then and then you get to bring along, you know, what you want to do. And it's gotten to the point where flight attendants are actually being bitten uh, on planes because dogs tend to be very protective of their owners. And you're in a strange environment and the flight attendant reaches over to, to give you a ginger ale and you attack it. Yeah. Um, and that's that's a real problem. Yeah. The other problem no, is the other problem is people who have allergies or, or there's some other essential hygienic issues. I mean, there was the famous story of the, of the U.S. Airways flight from Philadelphia to Seattle. And this person came on the plane with the emotional support pig. But I'm talking a huge, huge pig. And they didn't know where to put the pig. So they finally put the pig in the first class section on the bulkhead seat because it's the only place they could fit it. Right? And this pig actually was well-behaved, as pigs could be well-behaved during the flight, until the descent into Seattle. And the change in pressure. That's why you hear babies scream a lot of times, and your ears hurt you when you're. Tr- when it comes to the pig, pig wasn't used to this. The pig went nuts. The pig jumped up and down, was running up and down the aisle, defecating left, defecating right, defecating up, defecating down. <laughs> it created a sen- a, a, essentially a mass hysteria situation on the plane. People were throwing up. There was pig, you know what, everywhere. When the when the plane landed, it was met by basically a hazmat team, and. And, and yet the pig was legally allowed to fly because it was emotional support. I would like to see the bonus miles given to frequent flyers on that flight for enduring the pig you-know-what. <laughs> and, and now we have proven that pigs really can't fly. Yes, but you know what? There's another way to do it. And, and if you really want to take the scam to its most illogical conclusion, that would be how do you define what an emotional support animal really is? So I could go out and get a, a very large red vest, put it on you, <laughs> have you crawl onto the plane, and who can tell me you're not? I guess that's true. Yes, that's true. I did a front-page story once about a miniature horse that, that uh, was com- coming back from an appearance on Oprah's show. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and much like the pig, there were similar results. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Was the horse named Elsie? Oh, I think so. I can't. Yeah, yeah I remember that story. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, that was uh, that yeah, was that's, classic. Yeah, right. That's when the plane was met by by people with shovels. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Amazing. The crazy rules that airlines make you live by, but they make no practical or common sense. And I hope that somebody will come down from their high altitude and realize long enough that maybe common sense just might work. I don't know. Just a thought. Either that, if that doesn't work, Scott, then you know what? I'm getting the vest, I'm putting it on you, and I'm going to make you crawl. Let's see if we can get to Chicago. Okay, we'll try. All right, Scott McCartney from the Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Scott. Peter Greenberg here. We'll be right back. A new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. 
Welcome back to the CBS Travel Hour with Peter Greenberg. And welcome back to the CBS Travel Hour with Peter Greenberg. I'm Peter Greenberg, and uh, we were just talking with Scott McCartney, the travel editor of the Wall Street Journal, on the absurd, crazy rules that airlines still embrace, and even worse, try to enforce. Now let's shift some gears and talk to some other absurdities in travel, but the good kind of absurdities, places you didn't think you can go that you can go. And joining me now, Richard Banks, an author, producer, travel and technology pioneer, He's got too many credits to even get into. As long as this show is, we'd still run out of time talking about all the things he's done. I've known Richard for almost 30 years now, and he goes everywhere, including places that you didn't think would even allow tourism. Hey, Richard. Hey, Peter. Good to talk. So, well, listen, with that intro, I've got to, I got to talk about Saudi Arabia. Oh, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. I mean, for years, Saudi Arabia didn't even grant visas to anybody. Uh, who wanted, no, no, no tourist visas still. Yes, although they have a minister of tourism. <laughs> and, yes, and he went into space. <laughs> yes, he, yes he's, he's, the, he's the Saudi royal prince who is yeah. also their first astronaut, uh, yeah. uh, Prince, prince Salman, yeah. Yeah, but, um, but, but uh, what a tough position to be in because he is the minister of tourism, but there is no tourism. I mean, there, there, is, there is domestic tourism, uh, well, and there's also the Hajj, but... Um, uh, you know, the people who work there as as oil engineers and 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 such travel within the country, and, and the tourism minister oversees that. But as far as international tourists, that dynamic does not yet exist. It might change. And yet you went. Yes. <laughs> so we found a back door, um, which was uh, which was approaching one of the princes, one of the royal family directly. And then coming as his guest, and we, so we took a tour group over. I think it was the first uh, American or Western official tour group to go to Saudi Arabia, and it was it was quite astonishing. And so we crossed the empty quarter. Yes, and you know what? I've been there, and mm-hmm. I'm jealous that you went because this is truly, to me, the empty quarter is a combination of Lawrence of Arabia and the man who would be king. Absolutely, absolutely. It's the world's largest sand desert. And uh, it's um, it's rarely been been crossed by outsiders. The Bedouins have have often crossed it in camels, um, caravanseries, and stuff. But um, but uh, it's uh, it's a daunting place, but it's an otherworldly beautiful place. Gigantic sand dunes and you know beautiful beautiful vistas on and lots of camels. So. And they they've even got a ghost town. Oh, I didn't see the ghost town. Is it is it half buried under sand or something? Yeah, because I mean, it, it, it's Al Ula, the two thousand year old oh, ghost yes. town. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, Al Ula is a former trading center. Yeah, yes, yes. Um, you're right. So that's part of the Nabataean Empire. Um, so big, big trading center that um, uh, that vanished a long time ago. Yes. I mean, my so, guess. How'd you How'd you get in? Ah, you got to know somebody. See, <laughs> <laughs> and and my last name is Greenberg. I know. Um, that's doubly difficult. Yeah. I know. But you know what? The bottom line is, there's two ways to get into the empty quarter. I actually, at one point, I went in through um, uh, through the United Arab Emirates. So I headed north. You know, you get in that uh-huh. way too. Um, right. And it, but the thing is this: let's talk about geopolitics for a second and just basic economics. Yep. If you take a look at the structure of the Saudi Arabian government and the monarchy and their economic base, it would it would presume I would presume that they're having discussions as you and I are talking today about opening it up to tourism simply because they cannot forever depend on oil reserves. Yes. 
as you know, Aramco is floating an IPO for 10% of its stock, um, which is something that was unheard of. It's the world's largest company just um, just a few months ago. But with oil prices down, the uh, the kingdom is uh, is uh, suffering in a way that it has never before, in modern history at least. Uh, and it's looking to new sources of, of revenue and also cutting back on its sort of generous um, uh, dispositions. So um, tourism is a very, very uh, uh, likely opportunity for, for Saudi Arabia. So I, hopefully that will happen. We have a trip this uh, December, uh, another one similar to the one I did before, again, via uh, Prince. Nine days? Nine days, same trip, yeah. Wow. So. Now I should say, let's be let's be reasonable here, or maybe not. Mm-hmm. I mean, access is everything, and law of supply and demand is another. This is not an inexpensive trip. No, no. I, I, the first round that we did it, it was thirteen thousand dollars a person, <clears throat> and um, and most of that is going to the Saudis. So they they understand the economics of uh, of <laughs> tourism. So uh, well, that's not lost on let, them. Well, let's stay in the region because there are so many other places that have not been well. Uh, traveled, world mm-hmm. visited. Um, everybody knows about Dubai and everybody knows about Abu Dhabi, but the other Emirates um, have really sort of like been forgotten, you know. And they're and they're starting to now bubble up, like uh, Ras Al Kaman and and uh, and Sharjah. Uh, yep. There are some opportunities there for people who were traveling to really immerse themselves in the culture and have a great time. Yes. Um... Uh, I mean, the, the entire perimeter of, of Saudi Arabia uh, has, has enormous tourism opportunities, and, and, and many of them are starting to exploit. I think I, I might have told you that I was recently in Djibouti, which is just about um, 15 miles across the Red Sea from uh, Saudi Arabia, and, and Saudi is building a giant resort for uh, Saudi royals on the Djibouti coast. <clears throat> and that's a fascinating place. That's That was stunning uh and it's it's also um it welcomes tourism it's got the lowest point in africa and some of the best diving and whale sharks etc but it's also um the global assassination center we have a an american base there stop the global what i I knew i'd catch you on that one um we have a base there with 4500 americans and it's our drone center so while while the drone operators are in nevada near you uh down near area 51 um, the actual drones are based out of Djibouti, and uh, but they're controlled from Nevada. They're controlled from Nevada. Yeah, that's where the, but, the joysticks are. Yeah, that's the new Pony Express. That yeah, it is, boy. Uh, we went wow. sea kayaking in Djibouti on the Red Sea, right by the base, and you'd watch the drones take off as they went on their missions to Yemen and other hot spots. Okay. That qualifies as surreal. <laughs> it was surreal. I got to tell you. It was uh, it was a very unusual thing, and it's it's very very little known. I had dinner with the U.S. ambassador, who um, who actually called it the Global Assassination Center. Um, so, <laughs> you know, in so, the world of branding, I don't really think that's what you want. Yeah, <laughs> just a thought. I'm just going to give him a little unsolicited marketing advice. Yeah. Yeah. Probably <laughs> not the title you want. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So yeah, well, yeah. This, Anyway, you mentioned, back to your point, there's a lot of yeah. places to see and, and experience that have not yet been uh, over-touristed. Now, you mentioned a couple of places, one being Yemen. Would you go to Yemen right now? I, I would not go to Yemen. I would not go to Yemen. I would okay, not go that's to Yemen. On, yeah. Keep, go, keep Syria, going, because yeah. my list is very short, but Yemen's certainly on it. Go ahead. 
uh, Yemen, Syria, um, southern Iraq are um, are probably the three that I would not visit at this point. Um, and hopefully the dynamic will change. Um, how about you? What's your list? Uh, well, Yemen, Syria, southern Iraq, and Camden, New Jersey. <laughs> no. Okay. Just a thought. Just you put it me, out there. Throw me, throw me a curve on that one. Okay. And and parts of Chicago on Friday and Saturday nights. <laughs> okay. Okay. But that. But, but, but let's, but let's put that. Way. All kidding aside. Let's yeah. put that in perspective. That doesn't mean I wouldn't go to Chicago, and it doesn't yeah. mean I wouldn't go to Erbil in northern Iraq, and it and it doesn't mean that when when Syria calms down, I wouldn't want to go to to some of the beautiful cities that that you and I both know that used to exist at least yeah, in in yeah. Syria. Yeah. Um. And and I, as you, would, would would love to get in there as soon as it's feasible. But at the moment, I think we're targets. So I don't think, um, regardless of your last name. Uh, now, but you, but let me ask you this, though, Richard. You and I, I, th- I think I'm going to speak for you. I say, you and I would not even hesitate to get on a plane to Cairo right now. No, not at all. In fact, I was there not long ago um, with the USAID, you know, looking at, uh, at, at putting money into tourism promotion. So, um, right, and the, and the same thing applies to uh, to Sharm el Sheikh, also in, in Egypt. Or yes, the same thing would yep, apply yep, to Jordan, yep. which you and I have been to many times together. Um, yeah. the, the same thing would apply to just most places in the world. And, and my here's here's my metric, and tell me if this makes any sense to you. Mm-hmm. I will go anywhere if I know who's in control. Mm-hmm. If well, I know, know who, if I don't know who's in control, I ain't going. Well, you know who's in control of Syria, but you still wouldn't go there. No, because yeah, because right. Well, you're giving me the one exception to my line, but but <laughs> okay. but I would go to North Korea because I know it's in control. Yes, and I've been to North Korea, and me too. I mean, you you go because at yeah. least you know the rules. When Gaddafi was running, when Gaddafi was running Libya, you would go because you knew who was in control. I went there um, too. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Huh. I mean, most most Americans get propagandized into thinking we can't go because this guy's a bad guy. There are a lot of bad guys out there. But travel and tourism, here's the interesting juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of bad actors out there. Yep. And yet they know the economic and political power of travel and tourism to the point where they don't want to mess with travelers and tourists because it's such a big part of their economic base. So given that, it doesn't stop me from going. Yes. And and if you play by their rules, then, then you're, you're, you you're have often... To. Yeah, greeted and 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 ushered and 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 given open arms. Um, North Korea is encouraging tourism, so there are a number of companies now offering that. Um, you know, it's it's so funny. I mean, this is all sorts. This constitutes almost inside baseball, but it's too much fun not to talk about it. Mm-hmm. There are probably twenty five, and I'm not exaggerating. There are probably twenty five former ministers of tourism around the world. If I were to ask, hey, where are they today? The answer is in jail. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely true. I mean, um, I mean, it's true. But, you know, you bring up another dilemma that, that I've had to deal with, I'm sure you have as well, and that's that most of these oppressive uh, countries um, encourage tourism, but then the monies that we spend are going Don't go toward, to the people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're going to further, further the governance. And, um, and many times I've been, I've been, you know, ridiculed and spammed and, and such for, for going to places like, like North Korea. Uh, because so much of the the fee you know ends up in in the pockets of the of the government, but my counter to that is that it's always better to go and 
and, and, and meet the people and understand them and let them see you and understand you and sort of break down the barriers of, of misinformation. Listen, we have a lot to say for the, for the American ping pong team that went to China yeah. back in 1971 that opened yeah. the door. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to give yeah. any credit at all to Dennis Rodman. I'm sorry. It ain't going to happen. Because <laughs> um, if truth be told, I don't think Dennis Rodman even knew he was in North Korea. I don't think so either. He was drunk most of the time. So I think he really was out to lunch. Um, yeah. But the concept remains the same, and that is you can do a whole lot more good. Uh, and this, um, and you and I are not going to break into a version of Kumbaya right now, but you can do a whole <laughs> lot more good by by visiting a place than by not going. Yes. I absolutely agree with that. And, that goes- and by the way, you have a responsibility, and I think you'd agree with this, Richard. Each of us has a responsibility as travelers to try to follow the money, to find to, 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 to it basically encourage and in some cases expect and demand that the tour operators uh, basically funnel the money back to the communities where it's supposed to go. I just came back from, uh, from northern Thailand in which the Accor Group, the large, one of the largest hotel groups yeah, in the world, yeah, of course, yeah. uh, they, they have over 70 hotels in Thailand alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, they went to northern Thailand, 50 miles from the border with Myanmar, where there was a community there with no school, no running water, no electricity, no phones, no roads, no hospital. And they built them a school for about 82 kids. Um, uh-huh. uh, and once they built the school, guess what happened? They got a road. Once the road came in, the government put in electricity, and then they have a clinic. I mean, it's amazing. And then, and now they have tourism there, where Mm -hmm. you get to go and visit, and the money goes directly to that community. Um, And then, uh, some of the more structured operators, like in 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 uh, in, uh, Eastern Africa, there's a company there. I know you know them called Mikado Safaris. Know very well. Good company. And Dennis Pinto, and they came up with an idea that I thought was brilliant. And their idea is that for every safari they sell, they put one African child all the way through school. Oh, I, I, I read about that. I thought that was fantastic. amazing. Yeah. I mean, come yeah. on. It's, it's, it's so important for anybody who travels, especially to areas where you know there are things that need to be done, you would be remiss if you didn't ask where the money went. Yes. And 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 I and I I encourage everybody to do that. There are some countries that are so repressive it doesn't work. But for most of those countries, if you ask, and you ask in a way that they understand that you're not coming back unless they do, it's mm-hmm. amazing how things start to change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's one of the tenets of ecotourism that that uh, that the money stay with the local economy and local people get hired and, and local crafts get get offered to for for purchase and that kind of thing. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's a tenet that should go beyond the the uh, imprimatur of ecotourism. It should be altruism. Right, but for the moment, if you got a spare thirteen thousand dollars lying around and you want to go to Saudi Arabia, call <laughs> Richard. You, you can do it. Yeah. So. <laughs> We've been speaking yeah. to Richard Bangs, author, producer, raconteur, world explorer, and good friend of our show, uh, the CBS Travel Arrow. Peter Greenberg will come back. And another edition, but right now, Richard, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it, and we'll see everybody next week on another edition. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.